0: This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Victorinox Swiss Army. Victorinox Swiss Army is a household, I mean campsite, name, known for their iconic red Swiss Army knife. But did you know they also make best-in-class kitchen knives, luggage, fragrance, and Swiss-made watches? Founded in Switzerland in 1884 and still owned and operated by the family who invented the Swiss Army knife over 130 years ago, you can trust any product from them to last as long as the pocket knife in your own back pocket. Learn more later in the episode. You can find the perfect companion for your next adventure by visiting www.victoranox.com and save 15% using code EXPLORE15. That's www.victoranox.com and code EXPLORE15 to save 15% now through April 6th. Some exclusions apply.
1: I'm Gail Straub and you're listening to She Explores. Oh, it feels good to say that again. It's been a while. It's been wonderful to work on episodes, spend time with family, and pursue personal projects, but I've missed connecting with you all by sharing new episodes of this show. I also didn't get the opportunity to share some big news that our team announced back in January. You might notice a little cursive R on our podcast logo. It stands for Ravel Media. As both she explores in our sister show, Women on the Road, have grown, we decided to formalize them under Ravel Media so we could better serve all of you listeners. We chose the name Ravel because, as a noun, it means to knot, but as a verb, it means to untangle. We're always looking for connection between people, the environment, and culture. We try to tell stories that help us better understand both ourselves and the world around us. It's why we spend time outside. It's why we travel. To tangle and to untangle. And most of all, to grow. It won't change too much for you all as you listen, but it's a step we're proud to have taken. I'll link Ravel's website in her show notes so you can check it out. As for She Explores, we have a lot of great stories and conversations in store for 2020. As always, I hope you'll stay connected in our She Explores podcast Facebook group and subscribe to our newsletter for all things She Explores. Okay, with
2: that, I'll with the show. A lot of people do chase space. Their whole lives is about getting up there. Instead of chasing space, outer space, I've been chasing space on Earth, and I love every minute of it.
1: This is Dr. Cyan Proctor. She calls herself an explorer at heart.
2: My 50th birthday is coming up, and I've got a goal of, it's called my 50 by 50 by 50 campaign. And so it's getting to all 50 states and 50 countries by the time I turn 50, and I'm at 48.
1: When we talked, Cyan was two months from her 50th birthday, and I have no doubt that she'll hit those last two countries. Cyan is a geoscientist, teacher, STEM communicator, and an aspiring astronaut. She's also something called an analog astronaut, but she'll tell us more about that later in the episode. Cyan believes that going about space exploration in an equitable way can make us all better humans and environmentalists
2: exploration that a lot of times people especially when I talk to young people they're like there's nothing left to explore you know because they think of exploration as creating new knowledge or experiences for humanity but to me no exploration is much more personal it's about new experiences and knowledge for myself so every day I explore I challenge myself to do something or learn something or experience something new that I haven't experienced before. And I think that when we talk about exploration, that we, if we put it in that framework of lifelong learning for yourself and being your own explorer, then we can create a a generation that really appreciates learning.
1: Exploration isn't something we talk a lot about overtly on this show, which might sound surprising given the name of this podcast. The historical use of the word has certain connotations that can feel more like conquering or domineering a place or cultures. But the way Cyan describes it, being curious and open to new experiences, is really what this show is all about. Exploring can make you more appreciative of where you're at in your life. Exploring can make you a bigger person. A more open person. Cyan's love of learning has created a whole lot of opportunity in her life. But before she traveled to 48 countries or hiked the Camino to Santiago or was a NOAA teacher at sea, as a little girl, she dreamed of
2: going to space. I dreamt of going to space from a young age, mainly because. My father worked for NASA during the Apollo and uh, Gemini program. I was born on Guam because my father worked at the NASA tracking station there. Now, by the time I got older and understood the significance of that, we had already moved and he had left NASA. But I grew up with Neil Armstrong's autograph to my father on his wall and all of these space certificates. And what's funny is that Uh, I'm looking at them now. He passed away when I was 19, and so I got all of those kind of certificates and stuff, and they're on my space wall.
1: Outer space felt possible to Cyan. She saw the path forward through the
2: military. As a kid, I just saw myself as becoming a military officer, flying the F-16, and then transitioning to the you know, shuttle commander. <laughs> because how hard could that be? There was a hitch in science plan.
1: As a teenager, she got glasses, and in the eighties, that meant she wouldn't be able to join the Air
2: Force. I never considered myself super smart in the sense of going to MIT, and I always thought of of you know the mission specialists as super smart people who went to Ivy League schools and all of those things. And so when I got glasses and I knew I wasn't going to be a military aviator, and then my father got sick and passed away, I just kind of gave up on that dream. As it does, life went on, and Cyan kept learning. I got my science degrees. I finally got my pilot's license as a gift to myself. Being a geoscientist, I love traveling and exploring, so I traveled around the world. I got my SCUBA certification And then one day at age 38, I got an email from a friend who said, and I mean, I hadn't really considered being an astronaut for 20 years. (laughs) And he said, NASA's looking for astronauts, you should apply. And I didn't even know what the application process was like until that email came in. And I clicked on it and I looked and I had all of the qualifications except for speaking Russian. And so that was the time when it kind of came back to me. And I applied. And then I ended up being a finalist for the 2009 astronaut selection process.
1: Hmm. And why did your friend think that you'd be a fit?
2: That's what's great about it is when you are open about your passions and the things that you do, then your friends will know that. And so... My friends saw all of the things that I did. I traveled around the world and I, you know, got my pilot's license and Mm -hmm. they saw the explorer in me because I let that out. And they also knew that I had a love for astronomy and space exploration. So when the call came up, they were just like, hey, you'd be perfect for this. You should apply.
1: What was it like to get a taste of that? Like you came close to becoming an astronaut.
2: I came so close. I mean, it. it I got down to the yes/no phone call, and the no oh. call. The no call came from Sunita Williams, astronaut Sunita Williams. So, uh, it was really surreal because I suffer from imposter syndrome. You know, I, I debated about applying because I kept saying the narrative in my head was, you're just a community college professor, then they'll never select you. But then, you know, I could hear my dad chirping in the background of my, my mind saying, don't count yourself short and Mm -hmm. let them decide whether you're qualified or not. Don't let that voice inside your head dictate that. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to apply. And every step of the way, because you get down to the 450 qualified, highly qualified, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I made that. And then you find out that NASA's um, doing background check on you. And you're like, whoa, really? And then you get a call saying, hey, you're invited to Johnson Space Center for three weeks <laughs> and you show up. You, you you show up and you're with a group of 10 people in the first round for three days And you're surrounded by amazing people, fighter pilots and MIT professors and medical doctors. And the first thing that everybody always asks you is, well, what do you do? Mm. It was really kind of me trying to take ownership because I'd say, well, I'm, I'm just a community college professor in South Phoenix. And this whole idea of just a community college professor and realizing that I was there for a reason, whether you're looking at it from the teacher in space aspect and what that means, or just the fact that I'd done a lot of things in my life that made me qualified and NASA took note of how well-rounded I was.
1: It's cool that that process helped you except some of the more holistic strengths that you brought to that application process.
2: Yes, absolutely. It really because you know, I got the no phone call and you know, you feel like your your soul has been kind of ripped out because you're like, "No." And that, that sadness kind of comes in and then the first thing that I did was I told myself, "Okay, I can make myself better so that the next time NASA looks at me, I'll be ready because I, you know, I clearly have flaws. And so I enrolled into a master's in space studies. And I started working on my advanced scuba and I was going to get my commercial pilot's license. And I made all of these plans at, you know, the first six months of getting the no call. And then I stopped and I said, what am I doing? (laughs) I had to kind of feel myself back in and say, whoa, you know, this isn't who I am. And the person that I am and the things that I did was what NASA was interested in. And I don't need to remake myself into what I think they want. And that was probably the best healing thing that I could do was just I just kind of threw all that away and went back to living my life and being who I am. You know, if the opportunity came again uh, and they were interested, then great. But I wasn't going to disrupt my life to chase space. It's funny because a lot of people do chase space. Their whole lives is about getting up there. And luckily for me, that dream had died as a child and I just lived my life And then, you know, that email came that sparked it back. And it threw me into this idea of, again, chasing space. I had to bring myself back again and say, you know what? I'm just going to live my life. And it's funny because it's 10 years later and I'm an analog astronaut, a term that didn't really exist 10 years ago. Instead of chasing space, outer space, I've been chasing space on Earth. And I love every minute of it. We'll
1: find out what it means to be an analog astronaut after this.
2: We're here to provide easy trip planning for experienced outdoor adventures. We are a local connection to the Alps,
1: and we also have expert partners in South America that we work with. This is Brittany Hawes, founder of Alpen Ventures Unguided an adventure travel company for people who don't need a guide but want a local connection to help them get the most out of where they're going. They offer 30 self-guided outdoor adventures in the Alps and South America. In addition to offering classic hut-to-hut hiking tours, such as the Alta Via 1 in the Dolomites and the W-Track in Patagonia, Alp Ventures Unguided's Guided's real passion is getting you off the heavily trafficked trails and onto the adventures that the locals are doing.
2: You're there, you're in the moment, it's yours, it's your day, you own the day, you know, and then you're also, you're choosing who you're going with, you're choosing your dates, you're choosing the pace. You know, if you wanna stop at a hut that you see that's selling this amazing local cheese, you know, from the cows that you just walked past, then you stop. It really makes the difference from going on somebody else's trip to going on your own trip.
1: Alpin Ventures Unguided has awesome customer service to handle all the logistics, make customization easy, and they'll hook you up with all the tour data you need in a navigation app and a personalized e-guide book. Alpen Ventures Unguided is offering 10% off any of their adventures in the Alps during summer 2020 exclusively to listeners of this podcast. The code word is EXPLORER. That's alpenventuresunguided.com a-L-P-E-N, unguided.com and code EXPLORER for 10% off any of their summer 2020 ALP adventures. AlpAdventuresUnguided.com. We're back. What does that term mean, analog astronaut?
2: An analog astronaut is somebody who does human space flight training and research but here on Earth. So they're typically not tied to a space agency like NASA or the European Space Agency or things like that. So there's a whole community of analog astronauts who live in Moon and Mars simulations around the world as a hobby or you could say training for if the real opportunity happens. But there's also training programs out there like Project Possum, which is about scientist astronaut qualification. So they're a scientist astronaut qualification program where they concentrate on science that will be done in space and they train you up in that. And so I'm, I've done that. There's a lot of really amazing opportunity.
1: So how did you start doing the analog work?
2: So another funny story, because my friends know who I am. I got a Facebook post from a friend that said, in a nutshell, it said, you love food and you love space. NASA is looking for people to live in this new Mars simulation on the big island of Hawaii. You should apply. Uh, I was like, wow, I do love food and I do love space. So I (laughs) got that link and I and I applied. I got selected out of hundreds of people to live in this first analog site that was supported by NASA, NASA funding, to investigate food strategies for long-duration spaceflight. And so I lived in the high seas habitat for four months. Wow. When was that? That was in 2013.
1: And while the stated goal was to learn about food on Mars and in that initial habitat, researchers gained valuable insights on the psychological side of going to space.
2: The real thing is crew cohesion and communication. And so a lot of the follow-up studies for high seas, they went from four months. Then I think they might have done another four month, then a six or eight month. Then they got up to a year where they had a crew of six live in the habitat for a year and then back to eight months. And a lot of the research focused on crew cohesion and how do you choose the right group of individuals, put them in a really small rocket ship and send them to Mars on a anywhere from five to nine month journey, have them live on the surface cooperating and then come back in you know, over a year or two years and not want to kill each other. <laughs> so that's a really tough question. And, and it's really about figuring out How to choose the right crew, but not just the qualifications of the crew, but how do you build in mitigation strategies? Because conflict is going to arise. And that was one of the big things that they found through the high seas research is that between four and eight months is really when things start to break down and you start to see cracks in the system and and how people are getting along and how do you support them to get through that.
1: Being an analog astronaut is a testing ground for space here on Earth.
2: Cyan shared an outdoorsy parallel that resonated with me. You know, when you go on backpacker trips and stuff, those are mini analogs. Those are the same kind of things. That's why NASA sends all of their astronaut candidates on a Knowles experience, so that they can get into the crew cohesion and bonding and um, challenges and stuff like that. And so when we're thinking about backpacking, living in extreme environments, Antarctica, all of those kinds of things are mini analogs to human space exploration.
1: Oh, I will absolutely be thinking about that next time I go out for a backpacking trip. That's so cool. (laughs) Cyan reached out to me for this episode before she went on a simulation called Sensoria in January. It took place at the high seas habitat in Hawaii, but it was different than any other simulation she'd been on
2: before. It's called the Sensoria program, and it's this was the very first one, and it's about putting women at the forefront of human space exploration. So it was an all-female crew. And I feel very fortunate that I got selected and was a part of that program, and we just got out, uh, I guess, a week ago. <laughs>
1: having been a part of other missions, um, and other analog space exploration experiences, like what were your like overall impressions of being in an all women's environment?
2: It, it was actually really fantastic. It was the first simulation that I, I've done four simulations. And this was the first one that was all female. And what I really appreciated about it was, again, these are all highly skilled, highly trained women who are very dedicated to human space flight and this kind of activity. But what I loved about it was the conversations were different. It was the conversations that you would have with an all-female crew. So for instance, one of the challenges was the fact that we have a composting toilet and It wasn't designed to take a lot of um, fluid urine. And so in most of the cases, your crews are mixed. You might have two women, maybe three, but the majority aren't typically women. And they found that if you had more women in the crew, then you had to do something with the toilet and they have a urinal for men. So they asked the women to all use the urinal (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's challenging Because the urinal's up high, we had a female that's five foot two. And so we accommodated and we made the change. But it just shows, again, that when we're talking from a design aspect of habitats and the features within them, we're still in a male-dominated mindset or access. Even the flight suits that we wear are not female-friendly. I mean, you literally, as a female, have to take it completely off in order to use the restroom. And so thinking about that and having those conversations because you're in that all-female space um, was really fun.
1: Crew cohesion is an integral component of space exploration. Cyan and five other women were isolated at over 8,000 feet on the Big Island of Hawaii for two weeks together. Being able to help form and bomb with the crew beforehand made a big difference. Cyan picked her business partner, Aaron Bonelia, which created a domino effect.
2: And then what's really interesting is that she brought in somebody that she knew, and then I brought in another person, Micaiah Eustace. And what's great about Makaya is that um, she's also African-American female. And so that's unusual to have Two black females in any space endeavor, and so there's there's never been two black females like on the ISS or you know things like that. There's and and as far as I know, if there's never been two black females living in a Mars or Moon simulation as an analog astronaut until now. Oh, that's so cool. Is <laughs> because I came in as the oldest, oldest of the six of us. And Makaya is the youngest. She just graduated from um, University of Texas A&M. Cyan took Makaya on as a mentee. When we spoke,
1: she emphasized how important it is to have a diverse range of people on the crew.
2: So when we think about access to space and equity, equality, all of those things, it hasn't been. The history has not been there, and so having the diverse, not only diversity in gender, but also in ethnicity, race, socioeconomics, though all of those kinds of statistics is really important if space is going to be for everyone and our vision of humanity and what we want. As we start to move off planet is really important because we have the unique opportunity to shape that environment and and decide those kinds of things of, of the level of access and equity and all of those things. I want to help shape that narrative. I think Sensoria program is trying to do that by bringing women in. But for me, women of color, it's really important that we have access and a voice in that space. And I know Micaiah feels the same way.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really scary to think of those important decisions
2: in the wrong hands. Absolutely. And and the only way that changes, again, is by getting the people who are making those decisions, a diversity of voices. And so I think that that is the, the big challenge in the next five, 10, 15 years is making sure that we level that playing field.
1: We'll hear more after this.
0: You know the brand Victorinox Swiss Army. They make the iconic red Swiss Army knife. My parents gave me one when i went off to college and i still make sure to throw it in my pack for all my hiking trips but did you know they also make best-in-class kitchen knives luggage fragrance and swiss made watches founded in switzerland in 1884 and still owned and operated by the family who invented the swiss army knife over 130 years ago the classic red swiss army knife is still as functional as it was then But now you can browse hundreds of styles from the rescue tool for getting off the beaten path, designed with first responders to get out of a vehicle safely, to the winemaster designed to help you cheers to a good day outside with your friends. They also make kitchen knives that hold the same lifetime warranty as the Swiss Army knife. They're razor sharp, out of the package, and stay sharp. Watches that will take you from your day job to your weekend warrior adventures, and travel gear ranging from suitcases to backpacks for a quick weekend getaway or a week-long trip. Victorinox makes a wide range of trusted products. To find the perfect companion for your next adventure, visit www.victorinox.com and you'll save 15% using code EXPLORE15. That's www.victorinox.com and code EXPLORE15 for 15% off through April 6th. Some exclusions apply.
1: We're back. Each of the six women had
2: a unique role for the mission. This was science. My main role as was the geoscience officer, so that means that I helped design and guide the EVAs. Extra vehicular activity. They said that because it was in space, the first EVAs obviously were on ground, but the idea of going outside the habitat. And so when you went outside the habitat, you had to wear a space suit. And you, because the high seas habitat is on the big island of Hawaii. It's on the slopes of Mauna Loa, an active volcano, about 8,200 feet high. So it sits on the slope of this. And the terrain is amazing. It's very Mars-like. So really recent lava flows, recent in geologic time, and also lava tubes with skylights. And so that's why that location was chosen, was for the geology Being the geologist and somebody who had been to high seas before and had gone into lava tubes, it was my job to design that, um, you know, how we would go and go on those excursions. And I loved it. I loved I loved bringing my non-geology crewmates out into the field, giving them the tools to navigate to locations and saying, "Okay, take us to stop number one. Or take us to stop number two, which might be a skylight, which is an entrance to a lava tube and say, okay, we'll lead us into this lava tube. How would you get in there? And they just loved it. Hearing them just be like, oh, you know, and and just the amazement was so much fun.
1: I'm curious as to whether there was uh, a day in the life of the simulation or if you know, every day was completely different, just because there's only 14 days to work within.
2: You know, um, there was a lot of similarity to some extent, we were challenged a little bit by the weather, because if you're going to go out on an EVA outside the habitat, then you need good weather, because where it sits on the slopes of Mauna Loa, you get a lot of We called it dust storms, but basically low-level clouds. And it's easy because you got to imagine that this location, there's no vegetation. There's no, you can easily get lost. And it's dangerous because the lava fields, it's not like walking on a path. You're walking on, you know, sharp rocks. They crumble, they break. You could walk over a skylight that could collapse in. And so you really have to be in good weather to be able to do that. And so when you're socked in day after day, you kind of get into this routine of getting up, we all eat together, we do all of our, our biomedical measures in the morning, and then we sit down and eat breakfast as a crew, but then we all have our own research projects that we are working on. So then we work for you know X many of hours doing our thing, and then we'll come together for lunch, and then we might have an activity or something in the afternoon that we're doing together. But a lot of it in the HAB was our own individual research or or agendas that we're trying to get done and working on that. And then we'd come together for dinner and then uh, mission control opened up at night. So we would be talking back and forth with our communication with mission control and any of the issues for the day. If we were going out on EVA, then it was kind of like all hands on deck because Four out of the six people are going outside and you can't get into these spacesuits and dressed by yourself. So you're helping each other out. And then when you go out, somebody inside, one of the two people who remain in the habitat, their job is to monitor communications and the safety of the EVA crew while they're out. You might go out on an EVA for two hours, three hours, depending on where you're going and what you're doing.
1: Hmm. I bet it feels good to, to get outside, even though you're in a space suit.
2: (laughs) There is something about, and we have small little, two little small port windows. One of them is out next to the kitchen and the other one is back in the science area. So we rarely get to see that. So it was really interesting to see people going to the window and looking out and longing to be out. A lot of the women, I mean, all of the women are explorers that are in the Sensoria program. I don't think you can can go into that program if you don't have an explorer's heart. <laughs> but they're outdoor people. And so they're used to being outdoors and hiking and feeling the wind on your face. And so when you're socked in for eight days and you can't get out, you can just see the, the, the desire to get outside and explore.
1: Do you think that that's something that... Humans will be able to cope with actually
2: on Mars? I think so. I think that there's some, the nice thing is that we're going to the moon first. I'm a moon girl. So when people (laughs) ask me, moon or Mars, I'm like, moon, I'm ready to go. Um, (laughs) Luckily, moon is a test bed for us to work out the kinks for Mars. We're going to learn a lot as we actually establish a presence there um, of how to build, how to survive. How do those all of those things? And what's nice is that it's it's this natural human progression. Right. So we've got humans right now everywhere on the planet Earth. We've got them in the polar regions. We've got them underwater. We've got them in deserts, high elevation. Humans are everywhere. And now we've gone to now having humans in space 24 seven, a human space, you know, on the ISS. And then you think, okay, now the next thing is going to be the moon where we have a continued presence on the moon. And what is that going to look like? And then it's like, okay, then we'll start sending people to explore Mars and then we'll have a human presence that will be continuous on Mars. And so it's really an interesting time to think about, again, those big questions of access, equity, diversity and what we want that world to look like as we start to open it up.
1: It's interesting. I asked you, the listeners, in our She Explorers podcast Facebook group what you were most curious to know from an aspiring astronaut. Unsurprisingly, you had some great questions, and a bunch of them had to do with how our bodies would react to space. Cyan had a response that took me back a little bit, but it made a lot of sense. You know, the curiosity around what you do when you have your period and like if you were in a weightless space, how that might affect your your body over time.
2: And that's, you know, those were questions that a lot of, you know, when we're talking about sending the first females up in space were a lot of the concerns and things that were used against, you know, women Mm -hmm. moving forward. Uh, again because of the people who are making these decisions but that's what's fun is that when you have a program like Sensoria and keep in mind that Sensoria is not about excluding men their future missions can include men also it's just we're looking at majority women being in that space and given the opportunity to lead and command so that we can bring women and and female voices to the forefront of space exploration but we cannot do that without the support of our male colleagues and so that's really important that that part of the equation is also included
1: so some of it is breaking some of those taboos or like misconceptions about what's possible
2: yes and that in that the idea that oh six women in a 900 square foot dome you know the jokes that could fly about that well, we are six scientists, professionals who happen to be women in that environment. And so thinking or rephrasing that narrative to, to reflect the fact that we are very skilled scientists who are determined and that when you put six women together, the productivity level can be as high or higher.
1: Well, I will say that anecdotally, you know, when I heard you say that overall everyone got along really well, felt really productive, a good experience, it made me think of women's backpacking trips that I go on and how the conversation flows and we talk about things that we don't always talk about in, in other spaces. And that outcome isn't so surprising to to me just anecdotally with my experience in women's specific
2: spaces exactly and that's and and i think that that as we explore those spaces and and create data around that to show that this this does work then we can start changing the narrative of what some people think of when they hear that it's an all female crew
1: what were some of the big big takeaways you mentioned the fact that like the habitat's not designed with with women in mind, like some of those like physical barriers, really. Um, but what were, what were some of the
2: other takeaways from the experience? Well, I think one of them is you know, kind of that coming in with open uh, mindset and growth mindset and thinking about your strengths, doing some of the upfront, I guess you'd say activities and stuff to build crew cohesion so that you can deal with anything that comes along. If, if something does happen, support this whole idea of women supporting women, win, win, because in the past, when you're talking about, especially male dominated spaces in the sciences, I'm a geoscientist, a geologist, you know, the number of females historically haven't been as high And astronomy is the same way. Space exploration, all of those things is that a lot of times there's space for one female Hmm. and we compete against each other for that one space. And instead of having a competition among women where we're not supporting each other, changing that where, no, there's multiple spaces and for us to go for, and we're going to help each other. And it's going to be a win-win environment. And I think a lot of the women, you know, obviously with the Sensoria program, we came in with that mindset of win-win. How do I support you? How do you support me? How do we support the program? Um, And I think that that's something that needs to be expressed more in the real world. It's not about access to one spot. And, and I see that a lot as a, as a woman of color. When it goes to picking a team or a group, it's like, okay, who's qualified? Oh, we need one black person or one woman of color to, to check that diversity box. And it's not about just checking that diversity box. You can have multiple women of color so that we're not competing against each other for one spot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's about it should be about fit and just more like a more is more mentality.
2: Yeah, more is more. You, they that diversity is important, and when you're selecting that, it it's not about checking a box. It's about okay, how do we create a diverse crew? What would that look like when we open up access?
1: Mm. So what's what's next for you i know you've got 2 months to visit two more countries
2: <laughs> i know uh, so i'd like to finish my 50 by 50 by 50 campaign and really kind of ring in 50 with a with a lot of fun i guess you would say and thinking about how the second half of my life, this this transition, what's this going to be, and what are the some of the the new goals that I'd like to set for that? And so I'm starting to think a lot about that, of where as an explorer do I want to go, and and what kind of legacy do I want to leave behind, and how do I mentor and support the people that are coming up behind me.
1: Well, it's, it's incredible to think of all that you've accomplished in the last. 12 years, you know, if you think about like, when you've got that call to apply to be an astronaut.
2: Yes, I I mean, a lot of times, you know, and I was trying to tell uh, Micaiah this, because she's young, and just kind of starting out. I'm amazed at what she's done in such a small time in her career. But a lot of times, you get this, oh, you know, well, what's next? You know, is there any opportunity later on? And I don't know, you just have anxiety us being the, being able to tell her and be like no no you know your 20s are going to be good but then your 30s are really good and then your 40s are <laughs> even better and then thinking about why that is but I've definitely had a very great a nice linear curve upward when it comes to things that I've been able to do in every decade that I've had and a lot of that is maturity wisdom access to money building a reputation, all of these things allow for more connections and more opportunities in ways that you can't imagine when you're 20 years old.
1: I want to close with the final thought that Cyan had about why she believes the study of how to live in a faraway place like the moon or Mars benefits all of us on our home planet.
2: You know, as a geoscientist, I believe that there's no better planet than planet Earth. Uh, (laughs) And when people think about space exploration, they are often like, well, why would we put the money into it and on all of the resources when we have problems here? And I'm a a big proponent of solving for space solves for Earth. And so all of the things that we do to advance human spaceflight actually help us become better stewards of our own planet and better humans. And so when you think about crew cohesion for long duration spaceflight, well, imagine if we could solve that issue and apply it on Earth. You know, what would it look like if we could all get along as as humans here? Um, When you think about food and food resources, um, energy, uh, all of the things that we need to Survive in space and beyond on these other planets are the things that we need to thrive here on earth Mm. And so it really is a payback to earth when we put money and resources and time into human space flight
1: Thank you to Cyan for sharing your wisdom and adventurous spirit with us. You can learn more about being an analog astronaut by heading to analogastronaut.com. Cyan manages that website. You can also find Dr. Cyan Proctor on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dr. Cyan Proctor. As always, I'll link where to find Cyan and her work in the show notes and on the episode landing page via she-explores.com. You can find She Explorers on social media, our website, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram, at Gail Straub. If you enjoy listening, there are different ways to support us. You can subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. And if you'd like, join us in our She Explorers podcast Facebook group. This episode was produced by me, Gail Straub, and is a production of Ravel Media. Ads are produced and read by Tori Duham. Music in this episode is by Maiden, Josh Woodward, Swelling, and Kay Angle using a Creative Commons Attributions license. Until next week, have fun out there.